Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Summer uh, Movie Contest Type 48 Podcast. Today, my guest is my good old, super old friend, Johnny Patterson. Yeah. How, How long have we known each other? Um, I think we met when we were six. Yes, uh, 22, 23 years. Jesus Christ. That is, we are... You're one of my, I think, oldest ancient friends at this point. No, it's, it's true. There are very few people I'm in touch with these days who I've known for longer than you that aren't family. That's good to know. But uh, so today we're going to talk about, because I kind of asked you, because I'm curious by this, how yeah. movies not necessarily get made, but sort of the business side of it. Yeah. Because I think most people probably have watched enough DVD extras to kind of see how movies get made and all the different kind of departments and sort of the general process. But I don't know if too many people know the general gist of actually the business of getting a movie up and running, the actual money side of it, the business side of it. Yeah. And not only that, I was kind of uh, asking you a lot of questions prior to this, just because I, I just wonder if movies are kind of going through a change right now, possibly how they're getting funded and being made. Compared to how it maybe was five years, ten years, fifteen years ago, because um, I just don't know. And I, I was kind of, I was like, I know, I kind of want to pick Johnny's brain on this. So yeah. you're, you're the, you're, I put you in the seat to fire away at all these questions. No, no worries. I mean, I can, the, um, yeah, do you want to give a bit, a bit of context for your listeners? Is that I am a film producer, and I, uh, my last film. Has just we just finished it. It's 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 playing at some film festivals right now. Um, it's won an, uh, an award. Uh, it's what award did you win? Uh, we won best film at the uh, Dubuque International Film Festival. Really nice. Yeah. Man. thank you. Yeah, we were not. We've been nominated at all of the festivals we played at, and that's the one we actually came away with the big prize at. But um, yeah, we're up for we're up, we're in some other festivals coming up. Although I'm not allowed to. The, the festivals are super. Pernickety about like when you can actually release the information because they like to be in control of when the information goes out. But we've got we've got about three or four more festivals over the next couple of months, and I'm sure we'll we'll do well at those ones as well. But yeah, no, I can speak a bit to the kind of independent film market uh, and sort of how you finance independent features. Um, also, the studio side of things is a little bit um, more traditional and, and easy to kind of grasp, and I can talk to that as well. Um, I, also, I also studied that. That was I went to Carnegie Mellon and got a, a business degree in entertainment management, um, and a lot of what we learned was about the business side of the film industry. So I'm, I can kind of right. just regurgitate some of my old lessons. <laughs> well, before we, I guess we can start with the school side of things. Um, do you feel like when you went to school, the the kind of knowledge you got is actually pretty useful once you actually moved over to LA, where you currently reside? Yeah, the um, so the program I did was a two-year program. The first year was in Pittsburgh. The second year was in Los Angeles. Uh, first year was a kind of direct kind of MBA transplant syllabus um, from the Tepper School of Business. So it's marketing and it was sort of economics and statistics, right. all that kind of stuff. And then the second year in Los Angeles was much more kind of practical. We we, we had internships and our classes were taught by um, film and entertainment industry professionals. So instead of having just like a legal class, we had TV legal affairs taught by 
Headley Gold Business right. Fair guy at NBC, for example. Um, right. So what I would say is that I, I learned an awful lot that I've sort of not ever, which I think is quite common. A lot of the stuff I learned I've never really put into practice, but at the same right. time, there are I can sort of pinpoint at least two or three classes that have basically have sort of been hugely influential in allowing me to, to do what I do. I mean, I took a class in... You know, there's more to it than this, but ultimately, I took a 12-week class, which was all about putting together a business plan for uh, financing a film, which is pretty much what we're talking about today. And I actually used that business plan to go and get my movie financed. So it was very practical in that sense. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it was a different type of film program, uh, but it was uh, for me, it was brilliant. It was first class. Do you feel like the things you learned, though, in school are still relevant, or do you feel like things have changed so much where it's like, man, yeah, I mean, is I this even mean, like, is this yeah. even more, is this even practical anymore to actually get something going? It changes a lot. Um, the, I mean, the, the things that have changed probably more than anything, because I graduated five years ago, no, I graduated four years ago, uh, the digital space has evolved um, at a rapid rapid pace um so you have companies that are traditionally sort of focused on sort of youtube or kind of online content like machinima or awesomeness and they're starting film divisions now and getting financing from film studios to basically make movies with youtube influencers and that is quickly becoming you know the the most popular way um for a lot of you know, upstart filmmakers to get a movie made is if you can get somebody that has a four million following on YouTube, you can get a movie made for you know half a million dollars pretty easily. Honestly, really. Um, wait, wait, that, what, what would those people on YouTube actually make then? They would just make an hour and a half movie that they would post on YouTube. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm actually trying to do that just now. Although, and, and I should preface this by saying that I'm sort of taking a step into the unknown by by giving it a shot. But I am so intrigued by it as a business model that I've connected with some really good people that work in that space, uh, managers and directors who have sort of significant. Um, uh, influence on kind of the YouTube uh, platform and what we're basically discovering is that if we can get one or two influencers to attach themselves by the way these guys and girls aren't even actors yet they're just high profile they just get a lot of people listening and watching what they say and do online right. and what you can sort of do is it's actually providing a much much more kind of money ball type um, algorithm for for financiers to say, well, if so and so has you know half a million followers, that equates to you know seventy five thousand click throughs, and if we market this Honda you know Accord or whatever, you know they'll pay us you know fifty thousand dollars, so we'll give you forty thousand dollars, and everybody's making a bit of money out of it, you know. Right. And uh, those numbers are starting to hit a point that you can actually finance films, so. We have, you know, the, you know, the director of the movie that we're talking about. He's got a channel that has about one and a half million followers, and um, we're looking at getting a kind of YouTube influencer who would have sort of a multiple of that. And then we're talking about somebody like almost like a traditional financier, like a film studio might even come in and just finance a movie because they can be guaranteed a certain amount of eyeballs on that film, um, and that will 
equate to dollars for them. So who are the uh, people watching these YouTube videos? Are they do they skew younger? Oh yeah, they, they skew younger. Uh, you know, if you've got a channel like Awesomeness uh, Films or Awesomeness TV, they skew slightly female, um, which is interesting, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, skewing younger without question. I mean, to be honest with you, man, like I still don't really know what they're watching because I go out and I, I try and keep up with it. And, you know, I watch, I go to some of the bigger YouTube influencers and watch some of the stuff they put out there. And I personally find it borderline unwatchable because it's it. there's no real quality control. The, the, the onus is on putting out as much content as you possibly can as opposed to taking your time over one really good bit of content. Right. And, and that's how you build a following is you just keep churning it out. And uh, I think there are some out there that do it um, and, and kind of keep keep a kind of quality, quality control um, that's sort of pretty good. And then there's the vast, vast majority of it, which is just noise. But they get these followers, which sadly and interestingly equates to financing yeah i mean I, I completely feel where you're coming from because i feel like i'm we're both entering this age now where we're no longer kind of on the uppity up of what's happening we have to try harder rather than just naturally happening to us yeah um, which is kind of a weird feeling um like i was just i was over the weekend i was with my sisters and they were all over snapchat and i'm still like confused by it but they're like wizards on it yeah. and it's super big and popular and then i just wonder you know if people who skew younger, you know, what are their viewing habits and does that affect how people actually go about financing movies going in the future? Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. It influences who's financing movies. It influences where they're watching the movies and how they're watching the movies and who they're watching the movies with. Um, and it's, it is a massive work in progress. There's no, nobody's really figured it out yet. I mean, even when I was at college four years ago, people were trying to figure out how to kind of make up for the shortfall in, in the, the, the receding DVD market, the home entertainment market. Um, and all of a sudden, like at the time, nobody had a clue what was going to, how, how you could make up for that loss because DVD sales were plummeting and that made up a huge, huge portion of film studios kind of recruitment on any of their projects was like the home, the kind of sell through model of uh, people buying and sticking on in a Christmas present or something. And you know, these, uh, these influencers who are getting movies made in the digital space don't need to worry about that. It's not even a consideration. So, well, whilst the conversation five years ago was how do we fix a problem that we currently have and nobody knew how to fix the problem. I, I don't think anybody still knows how to fix that problem. An entirely new model has built has, has, has since sort of developed that is non-reliable on that problem. So it's not a problem anymore for that particular model. It's really interesting. I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's why I'm trying to get into it. It's just, you know, making films has never been riskier for independent filmmakers or film studios. Um, but what do you think is the biggest risk? Is it just there's too much content? People aren't going to the movie theaters as much. People I just want to do other things rather than go watch a movie. I think honestly, man, like the whole thing is evolving at such a rapid speed. It, it, you know, viewing habits are changing, taste is changing. You know, monthly, I would say almost, and it takes absolutely. It takes years to get so from 
you know, from the time a movie gets, uh, from a time sort of an idea for a film is conceived to the date that it gets released, you're talking at least two or three years, and that's moving quite quickly. So if you think two or three years ago, what's a good example? You know, maybe two or three years ago, people are, you know, Spielberg's like, I want to do BFG. Uh, and he's thinking to himself, right, this is me, uh, it's my brand, it's Roald Dahl's brand, it's Disney's brand. I don't know exactly what came out around about that time that might right. have potentially been seen as a, as a good comparison for that film. Um, but, you know, three years later, for whatever reason, people didn't want to go and see the movie. And I think that one, you know, that's, that's, a, that's always a problem, like not having the foresight to know what people are going to want on opening weekend. But, um, you know, a big and a more obvious example would be like the current plight of the sequel, right? Like for whatever reason, a lot of these sequels are coming out and nobody's going to see them. Whereas five years ago, everybody was going to see the second movie and the third movie, you know? Um, now you've got like Snow White and the Huntsman 2 comes out and it tanks. And you've got all these other ones that are coming out and they're tanking. No one's actually, no one actually cares about going to right. see, you know, the second whatever, apart from Finding Dory, which is a nice, uh, and that's a nice sequel that people seem to be, yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but apparently it's fantastic. I haven't seen either, and I love Nemo. But I think the, the reason with Nemo is that it took 10 years, or more than 10 years, for the sequel to come out. And over that time frame, it just built this loyal following uh, with parents and kids. So when it came out, I feel like there was like this built-in, not necessarily appreciation, but I think um, uh, uh, source some sort of like commitment that, you know what, you brought so much happiness to our family with this movie. I will happily go back for another run of it. But you, you had said one thing about how quickly things are changing. I definitely feel like this is happening not only in movies, but just in like our society in general. Yeah. Like you said, it takes three years to make a film, but within three years, everything can completely upend itself and you're just fucked. So yeah. are there people constantly trying to look ahead and be like, yeah, how, how oh, is, yeah, that's, like that's, what are some like ideas that people are trying to think of like, Hey, in three years, this might be happening. We have to be aware of it. So I'll give you. The, I'll use the example of my own film. It's called Halfway. It's a very small independent film. But when we realized that we were going to make it in two thousand, we, we shot it in two thousand and fourteen. At the end of two thousand and fourteen, we knew that using our kind of uh, we, we we had enough foresight to know that it would be finished. You know, at some point towards the end of two thousand fifteen. And people would start seeing it in 2016. And we knew that 2016 is a uh, campaign year. We've got a presidential campaign year. Uh, and our film has a strong social uh, message to it, which sort of touches on the broken prison system. So two years ago, when we're looking at, like, what do we need to be aware of that might make our film relevant and interesting when it's ready and finished, that in our, in our that example was something that we talked about. We're like, well... Maybe in 2016, the conversation is going to be very heavily around, you know, the broken prison system and the extreme kind of socioeconomic problems created by recidivism. And I think we were pretty much on point, actually. I think that as we get closer to November, the, that big, that's a big, big kind of contentious issue. I think it will become a big talking point. I think as the country sort of gears up for the general election, um, maybe our film will be more interesting to people. I, I can't say definitively if, if it's going to make any difference whatsoever, but it, you know, to your question, it's just one of those things that we looked at to sort of see, you know, trying to think ahead. I think on a bigger scale, it's it's such a crapshoot. I mean, these big studios have 
you know, they know that movie stars, generally speaking, can pull in a big audience, but at the same time, they can't cater for a Johnny Depp punching his wife and getting into a, you know, a domestic abuse, uh, abuse right. that will ruin his box office. Right. Uh, potentially. I mean, I mean, if Pirates of the Caribbean was coming out this weekend, I'd be a bit worried if I was Disney because all of a sudden Johnny, I mean, by the way, I, I, I'll reserve judgment on if Johnny Depp actually did anything wrong. I think that's very much up in the air, although I'm tempted to say that, you know, until he's proven innocent, frankly, it's um, not looking particularly good for him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just tricky, isn't it? I mean, you can't, it's very, very difficult to look that far ahead. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, I'll give you another example of, of just something that we're talking about on my end, is I have a film that I'm producing, and it's it's a beautiful script, and it's a relationship drama, right? And if you remember during the kind of 90s and the 2000s, you just had this kind of plethora of what they called rom-coms. It's a pretty standard sort of genre, right? You had the romantic comedy or just any kind of romantic film was basically always about the getting together, right? It was two people at the start of the movie, the kind of will-they-won't-they conundrum for 90 minutes, and at the end of the movie, they either ended up together or they didn't. And for a period of time, that formula made a shit ton of money. And people liked going to see that because they could relate to it. They could relate to... Uh, dating being all about, you know, it's so difficult to find that person. It's so difficult to find somebody to take you out on a Friday night. Whereas now, in 2015, the getting together is super easy with social media and dating apps. Like, that's not really interesting to people anymore. And our society has changed massively so that if someone was to go out and make a rom-com or a romantic film now, which was about the getting together... I honestly don't think audiences would go and see it because I don't think they care anymore. I think what's much, much more interesting to modern kind of relationship um, sort of experiments or uh, just sort of real life relationship stuff is that it's the get, it's the staying together, right? Can you ta- can you stand the test of time once you've met twenty people on a dating app? Which one's going to stick it out, and how do, like what defines like a relationship that actually works? And that's much, much more relatable, both socially in 2015, and I think hopefully with our film, uh, which is called Us Again, which is sort of very much a commentary on that, um, we'll, we'll kind of resonate with an audience in a way that a kind of traditional romance film wouldn't. And I think that you know the genre hasn't caught up with what's going on in society, and that's why that, that genre sort of ceased to exist right now. No, that makes, that makes complete sense, because... A, you can always get genres that can be played out. Like you just get too much of the same thing and people can uh, tune out. And I also, you know, one thing I wanted to pick up on that you're kind of saying is, do you feel like studios and, and either independents that they're falling behind how, how people are thinking and living their lives now? And because of that, the movies that are coming out, just like you said, you can't relate to it. It doesn't even feel like it's coming from like the same energy field. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think in some instances that is the case. Um, I mean, that's not the only reason movies don't work. Sometimes movies just aren't good. But for example, I mean, BFG, for example, like I come from the UK, Roald Dahl, you know, and and the BFG in particular is a sort of seminal story from my childhood, and I am desperate to see that. I, mean, I haven't seen it yet because. We had a busy 4th of July weekend, but I will go and see that movie this week. But 
that brand has no real recognition in America, and right. because no, in the same way that you know with Tintin, uh, it's sort of ridiculous to me as a European uh, person that nobody here really knew who Tintin was. Tintin is such a big classic cartoon uh, caricature character that it was a huge movie in Europe and other parts of the world, but in America it didn't do very well, even though it was Spielberg again. So brand recognition is increasingly important um, domestically and internationally, and I suppose that is a big, big part of what's changing in the film studio mindset is the globalization of the industry and the idea that, you know, the biggest market is no longer the domestic market. Right. You know, right. the biggest market is the international market. So if you're, if you're only taking, you know, in the times of Titanic, for example, where 75% of the, the box office was coming from the United States and 25% was coming from the rest of the world, and now that's almost flipped, right? It's completely now, flipped. I'm doing some research on it. It's At this point, it's like 70-30, where yeah. Yeah, uh, even a movie like Warcraft, you know, it's going to finish with at best 45 million states. Mm-hmm. You check internationally, it's made 400 million. Yeah. And, oh, and, and it's huge in China. Huge. Yeah. Broke records in China. And-, and you look at that and you go, it kind of it makes it hard, not necessarily hard for an American audience, but you quickly realize that, listen, no longer are movies just being made, quote unquote, for you. It's being made for people. Uh, with different cultures that uh, maybe you don't necessarily understand or relate to, say like Tintin, because yeah, Tintin's not a big deal in the states. I didn't even know what Tintin was before that movie came out. Yeah, um, and I think some people are struggling with that when they're like, "Well, who's going to want to go see this movie? This movie looks shitty." And it's like, yeah, that movie's not made for you; it's made for someone else. Um, and I think people are struggling deeply with that. They are, and you know, it's uh, when it comes to financing films, the money's used to just all basically come from America and the film studios, but now the money is coming from other parts of the world, right? You have massive investment coming from both China and India, just to name two countries that are heavily investing in feature films at a really, really high level. And a big part of what they're, you know, a big reason for that is they're looking at well, how much is this movie going to make me worldwide? And, you know, if I, you know, if I was to try and make a movie with a Chinese investor, you know, I'm sure I could get a Chinese investor to pony up like serious, serious wedge for a movie, but they're going to have very specific things that need to be in there, uh, which can seriously kind of like dampen the creativity. For example, they don't release R-rated movies in China. They release PG-13. So if you have... Um, you know, a, a, let's use like a Jason Bourne or like a James Bond or like a cool action movie. You'd have to recut it in some respects, you know, to get it released in somewhere like right. China, which you have to get it released in now because that's where so much of the money is coming from. Right. Um, and the number of theaters that are being built a day in China is I oh man, when I look into the, it, it's amazing. When like, I look into the stats, you know, America at this point is pretty. Um, saturated with theaters like you know we've built up to about five thousand theaters in this country um but in countries like brazil and china and india and um basically all of asia it's exploded the amount of theaters that have now been built that actually can view this where it dwarfs the american theater count it's just more people can see movies 
that are not in the United States than ever before. And I think if you're running a studio, you're probably thinking about that, right? You're probably looking at like, wow, how many people can actually um, uh, uh, go see a movie in China now? Yeah. We should probably think about that. Oh, yeah. Big time. Let me see this, though. What do you think is like the – do you feel like people are more nervous about investing in movies? Or are they more nervous to, type, to invest in certain type of movies and maybe they have a more yeah. uh, affinity for – for like, hey, maybe I'll go more to the direct-to-video route or the streaming route. Maybe I feel more comfortable doing that. Is there any of that going on where people are like, I just people get a little more nervous about investing in films? Well, you know, what I, the, the two space, the two types of movie that I think are getting, you know, pretty not. I think I think people are more inclined to invest. Sort of, the risk is still high uh, with the bigger budget movies, the studio movies, but. The rewards are so significantly higher, and the, the potential uh, to kind of just get, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is like those movies are always going to get made. These big, big, big budget movies that the studios are financing because they have massive marketing power behind them. And generally speaking, these tentpole films, one or two of them can hold up an entire business, even if they have a few flops. So they're more than happy to continue to invest in giant box office fare, like big franchisey superhero or hopefully, hopefully new franchises that aren't based purely on source material, but are more sort of original ideas. And then the one that I was talking about earlier, which is this digital space, which is the one to really keep an eye on, um, which is these sort of burgeoning independent film companies that are making movies for small budgets, but, are guaranteed their return because they have these Netflix, uh, sorry, these um, these internet influencers uh, involved in the project, which gives them free marketing. It gives them substantial reach to a target audience without needing to put down the tens of millions of dollars that studio does for their their um, temple film. Yeah, um, the ind- getting independent films financed in a traditional sense is is more difficult maybe than it's ever been because. It's really difficult to compete with big box office movies, and it's really hard. It's really difficult to get space in a theater. Honestly, like any multiplex probably has no more than twelve movies a weekend that you can choose between, and there are thousands of movies a year that get made. And of course, not all movies are intended for the big screen, but the ones that are going to make substantial profits are not. There's not a lot of filmmakers out there that make movies straight for home entertainment. That are expecting big returns. Um, right. The you know the one big part of uh, how those sort of independent films have been financed over the last sort of twenty years was what they call pre-sales, which is when if I'm making to give you an example, if I'm making um, a feature film and I've got you know uh, Ryan Gosling, and, I mean, if I'm making what's, what's a good example. Um, Let's just forget get a specific film, but if I've got a couple of actors attached, like Ryan Gosling and you know Michelle Williams, for example. Then I can say to I can have a sales agent on board the film that before we make the movie, this is what we're trying to raise the financing for the film. Well, that will go out to the markets around the world and pre-sell the distribution rights to local distributors. Um, and maybe Ryan Gosling has a huge following in Italy, and there's a you know because of that, there's an Italian distributor that's willing to sort of guarantee you. You know, a million dollars, 
Um, and what they'll do is they'll write you a letter of intent to to give you that million dollars upon um, delivery of the film. And that letter of intent has always been good enough for a bank to give you the money you need to actually go and cash flow the production. Um, it's then the onus is then on the filmmakers to deliver the movie they say they're going to deliver, but you know traditionally they do. Um, and unfortunately, the pre-sale model is is disappearing uh, as well because movie stars are less and less reliable by themselves. And having Ryan Gosling or having uh, you know Brad Pitt in a movie isn't as much of a guarantee as it was 10, 15 years ago. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the way people are watching movies or where they're watching them. Like They just aren't necessarily going to the movie theaters in, in their droves anymore. Which I know it sounds counterintuitive because we're breaking records at the box office all the time. But I still can't help feel that there's that. Oh, it's totally this, evident. This is all bubbling away, and and it's sort of you know. It's, I, the the secret is that um, that Hollywood ra- are raising the ticket prices to cover up the fact that less tickets are being sold. Yeah. Um, and it's not like a steep drop off. The the tickets it's gradually dying every year. But it's still doing well enough where it's a, vi- a very much a viable business model. Yes. But you would be, I think, foolish to not see the trend happening, which is people are going less to the theaters, having more of the mindset of, I'll wait for it when it comes out, where I can stream it on Amazon Prime, on Netflix or whatever. I'll go, you know, I'll buy it and rent it. I'll stream it, whatever. Yeah, it's sad. I, you, you, you know, could, you like, could feel I'm, that change happening easily. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm a film enthusiast, as you are. I'm a I'm a producer. I work in the industry, and and I am I am an example of that. I've gone to see less movies, totally, year on year, over totally. the last five years. I used to average easy thirty films a year that I would see in the theaters. This year, I think I've seen five. Yeah, and and it's more than just the thought of. Yeah, I'll wait for it. Or I got other stuff I'm kind of... I mean, TV's a big thing. I know a lot of my friends just watch TV and want to talk more about TV than movies these days. I think I, think I can comfortably say without any empirical evidence that TV has surpassed movies as like the dominant form of kind of shared entertainment in America. Um, and these are kind of... I don't know if these are threats per se to movies. And it's interesting to hear about this YouTube model because... Like you said, I think things are changing so quickly that in 10, 15, 20 years, will movies and movie theaters still be around? Yeah, but I think how we're consuming it and talking about it and experiencing it, it's just going to be rapidly changing. I agree. And there's nothing you could do about it. (laughs) There's nothing we can do about it. All we can do is try and continue to make sort of worthy content that people are going to seek out and, and watch and, you know, it's sort of filmmakers at the start of my career and the people I work with like you know there's still a lot to be said for just making a good movie totally I think people will always you know sometimes the end game of a movie like halfway isn't halfway making millions of dollars in the box office it's other people in the entertainment industry seeing the quality of it and the value in what we were able to achieve and saying right I'll give I'll give you guys more money to make your next movie and maybe that one is the one or or maybe it's movie number three that actually goes out makes a lot of money but ultimately you know just you know I, I, I do believe that you know quality will always sort of shine through in the end 
if it's good enough. Unfortunately, it's just always going to be competing with uh, a significant amount of rubbish as well. Cat videos. People want to see those cat videos. <laughs> I definitely think people will always search for good content, and they will flock to good content. I don't. I, don't, I think that that is a that's a rule that I think will always exist. And if you can strike it at this point, I think you could really hit big. If you're telling me some YouTube people are just doing subpar work where they're getting three million followers, you know? Yeah. I feel like if you can do it really well, you can really strike it big. I got one more question for you, and I know you got to go. Do real quick. I asked everyone this question, which is, what is your favorite summer movie? This summer or all time? All time. You can do the uh, summary too if you want. I mean, it really blew your socks off, but no, no, no. The uh, my because I, I I thought about it, and there was one movie that I went to see like four or five times one summer, and it was the original Men in Black, uh, <laughs> which that's a good movie, dude. It's a great movie, and I actually saw it where you down in Florida where we would always hang out, and uh, I went to see that movie more times than I care to remember. But I would say that. Purely as a summer film that I just sort of has a place in my heart, Men in Black won. And then this summer, I'm really hoping uh, that the BFG is as good as I hope it is. I haven't seen it yet, but I, I am hoping that it is my favorite movie of the summer. Okay, well, thanks, John. I really appreciate it. I know you got to go. Pleasure, uh, man. Always. And, we need to uh, talk again. I got like 10,000 more questions for you. Yeah, no, mate. We can chat anytime, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm gunning for everybody else who's on this. Uh, on our, uh, I'm fucked. Discount. Finding Dory is going to pass Captain America. And I'm fucked. Yeah, I know. I'm, Anyone I'm who has Dory's number one film is in a do it will do just fine. If you don't, I think you're fucked. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Um, all right, speak to you soon, mate. All right, see ya.